0: In January, she'll begin her second term in Congress, this time representing Iowa's Second District. We'll sit down with Republican Congresswoman Ashley Hinson on this edition of Iowa Press.
1: Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa's communities, and they are backed by Iowa banks. With advice, loans, and financial services, banks across Iowa are committed to showing small businesses the way to a stronger tomorrow. Learn more at iowabankers.com.
0: Our guest on this edition of Iowa Press was first elected to the United States House of Representatives in 2020. She was re-elected this past November. She will be representing the second congressional district. She will be sworn into office on January 3rd. Ashley Hinson, welcome back to Iowa Press. Thanks for having me, Kay. Joining the conversation, Clay Masters from Iowa Public Radio and Aaron Murphy of the Gazette in Cedar Rapids.
2: Congresswoman, uh, the Senate and House this week voted on legislation that uh, essentially codifies states that uh, recognize same-sex and interracial marriages. You voted for that but also criticized the, the vote more broadly. Could you, We were hoping you could kind of explain why you kind of had, had two minds about that issue mm-hmm. sort of.
3: Well, uh, Aaron, this bill preserves uh, current law and that's the way I thought about it. Um, it's the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution uh, where you look at birth certificates, uh, death certificates, I, I believe concealed carry permits apply to this same standard. Um, so I think that same standard should apply to marriage certificates um, in all states and that's why I supported it. Um, you know, I think my constituents are very concerned about other things. That's why I think, you know, right now we're up against a, a lot of deadlines. We should be focusing on fixing the solutions that Iowans clearly told me they want fixed and that's why I uh, issued the statement I did. We need to be focusing on fixing inflation. We need to be focusing on energy independence, securing our border. Um, so. Um, you know, I supported it, um, but that's where I stand on um, on these issues.
2: And uh, I, you could understand, given the atmosphere, that uh, surely you have some constituents who did want to see this happen. And, and especially for wherever you fall on that particular issue, the Supreme Court's ruling and how that's affected abortion uh, regulations. Now, sh- surely there were. People in your district who wanted to see some kind of legislation that protected this issue is—I is, mean, it's important to some of those folks too, isn't it? Yeah,
3: and I understand it's important, and on both sides, right? I've—I've I've heard from people on both sides of this issue, obviously, but. Um, again, the, the issues that I continue to hear most about are uh, the economy, that, that's what I think this election was about, was about the economy and about wanting someone who was going to go to Washington and be a check on the administration and um, all the spending that's been happening in Congress. So um, you know, I don't want to discount where people are on this issue but at the same time I think that our focus in Washington, D.C. needs to be on those issues that people are contacting us about.
4: One of the things that needs to be done next week for Congress is, is set a budget moving forward. Uh, it has been a while since there has been split control in yeah. Congress and we haven't seen these kinds of games of chicken when it comes to keeping the, g- the government open, uh, avoiding shutdowns. Some of those are, become inevitable it seems when there is split control. Uh, how are Iowans going to be impacted uh, when republicans do take control of the House and we mm-hmm. might see, looks like we'll see more of these kinds of games of chicken as to whether or not the government will stay open?
3: Well, uh, right now democrats control everything and I'm the only Iowan on the appropriations committee so I have been a part of this process um, both on the uh, the spending side and on the budget committee as well. So I've witnessed kind of that chaos and dysfunction through the process. Um, we were able to get to a, a deal that I think uh, was targeted for Iowans back in um, the spring and that's why I supported those appropriations bills in the spring. Um, I'm hopeful we can come to an agreement in the next uh, couple weeks here so that we can, number one, fund the government responsibly but also make sure that um, some of Iowans' priorities are included. And so that's what I'm going to continue to fight for. Um, And as we enter this next Congress I think what's really important is uh, I've tried really hard to build relationships um, in both on both sides of the aisle and in both chambers because I think it is really important that I've been in the minority for two years. I wanted to make sure that Iowans' priorities were included and that I have respect from uh, fellow members of the committee. And so that's my main goal is to make sure we're doing that in a responsible way while still pushing back on things that I see as going too far, spending too much money, etc.
0: Do you, as in your fellow Republicans in the House, intend to sort of weaponize the debt ceiling vote, which will be looming in 2023?
3: I think what we're focused
0: on, it, as a
3: Republican conference, is just making sure we're we're putting our country on a better fiscal path. Uh, we have seen. Uh, out of control spending, Um, the democrats uh, raised the debt ceiling with no account for uh, trillions and trillions of dollars in spending and what that would do to our economy. So in my mind the conversation next year needs to be about how are we more responsible. It's why I introduced uh, bills to help make sure Congress actually knew what the impact of inflation was on a bill before we actually pass it. Uh, I think Congress has been incredibly irresponsible in how it has been passing legislation without Uh, understanding the real impact on the economy. So that's where our focus is going to be. Obviously we're going to have to have the conversation around the debt ceiling next year. Um, In my mind it's how do we make sure we're leveraging things going forward so we put our country on a better fiscal path so we don't have to continue to have this conversation every year. So should there be a debt ceiling? I think there has to be or Congress won't control itself. I think that ultimately you look at the state of Iowa and how we do things here. Um, I've served on the Appropriations Committee here, right? We live within our means here in Iowa, and if you don't have leverages of control there, uh, Congress will not control itself. And so I think it's really important that we start to be more responsible, and those are the policies that I'll continue to advocate for as a member of the Appropriations
0: Committee. One of the important bills that passed Congress this past week was a military bill, but it also included a proposal that. Republicans had been adv- advocating for, which were moves, the vaccine mandate, the COVID vaccine mandate for members of the um, armed forces. Mm-hmm. Are there other vaccine mandates that you would like to eliminate that the military currently imposes on its soldiers? Well, I can tell you this, that the COVID-19 mandate is the one that we have heard about.
3: Um, and that's why I think it was so important that that conversation happened because It came down to a point where this is impacting our readiness, this is impacting our ability to be safe and secure in this country, which is why republicans and and leader McCarthy fought for that provision in the NDAA, uh, the authorization bill for defense this week. Um, Many members of the military have left because they felt strongly about that Um, and I think it's important to know we've been missing our recruiting goals as well because people feel very strongly about that. So um, I think this this is about making sure our military can continue to be strong and be ready to go, understanding that many, I mean, I, I got my kids vaccinated with their childhood vaccines. I think vaccines are safe and effective, uh, but I think especially when it came to the COVID vaccine, it should be uh, people's choice, whether they get it. And that dramatically affected our military.
2: One of the first things you'll be doing, uh, coming up soon is electing new leadership uh, for your conference. Um, You have said you support, you mentioned Leader McCarthy, uh, Kevin McCarthy from California to be the House Speaker uh, but there are reports that he's not quite, uh, doesn't quite have enough votes to confirm that yet. Uh, I'm curious. Are you talking to your other members to 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 try and you know swing some votes and get enough support for uh, Representative McCarthy? And and are you comfortable with him maybe having to make deals with some members in order to get enough votes uh, to be the next House Speaker? Yeah.
3: Well, uh, I have supported Kevin McCarthy. I think he's going to be a really good speaker. Uh, he has done an incredible job of helping our conference unite um, not only to be the check on the Biden administration and fire Nancy Pelosi but unite behind an agenda. That we want to deliver and execute on starting on January 3rd. So I'm hopeful we're able to get moving on that as quickly as possible, get through uh, some of the drama of the leadership elections and, and get down to business. Um, and, you know, honestly, the one thing Leader McCarthy has been very good at is building coalitions. We have a wide variety of viewpoints in our, uh, in our conference, and that's okay, right? And I think having those conversations and making sure that we unite behind the things that matter. Uh, the agenda that Iowans and Americans sent us to Congress to execute on, um, that's what's going to be really important and I think he's the right person to do that.
2: And Dee, and I, I was going to ask you that because uh, whether you feel he, he, does, he should be the leader, obviously you do, you've said that, but uh, ask, given the, the recent election and um, obviously Republicans did well in Iowa, but, but nationally while Republicans took over the House the, the margins maybe weren't as big as uh History might have suggested they could have been But you feel despite that performance, Kevin McCarthy has done enough that he should be leader despite that?
3: Yeah. Kevin McCarthy helped us get the majority and we have the majority and I think that's really critical. It is that check and balance that we have been advocating for. So going forward we're going to execute on the priorities that uh, I heard about on the campaign trail, uh, firing the 87,000 new IRS agents. I hope that's the first thing that we do before lunch after electing Kevin, Um, making sure that we're controlling our spending as we've discussed how important that is, how out of control that's gotten. Yeah. Um, so I think it's about making sure that we deliver on those priorities no matter if our majority is 222 or 240. That's what people expect us to do and that's why they sent me back to Congress and um, we have a, a red wave. I think that happened here in Iowa. I joke it's between the Mississippi and the Missouri. We got it done here in Iowa. Um, and I think Iowan's very clearly rejected uh, the DC way and they want us to double down on the Iowa way.
2: Speaking of leadership, how about yourself when we when we do our reporting, we hear that maybe Ashley Henson could be in line for moving up the ladder Within the House Republican caucus and being in a leadership position, should we expect to see you among the House Republican leaders anytime soon?
3: Well, I am focused on being a really good member <clears throat> and a really good legislator. Um, I'm a member of the Appropriations Committee, as I've mentioned, and I think that's going to be a really critical committee. Uh, so that's where I'm focusing all of my efforts. Um, my bosses are the taxpayers of this state, uh, not uh, leadership in Washington, D.C., and I am focused on doing that job really well.
2: But if presented with that opportunity, is it something you would welcome or accept?
3: My biggest focus is on where can I make the most impact for Iowa? So where can I make sure Iowa has the biggest voice and the biggest seat at the table? So uh, if those opportunities arise where I can make sure Iowa is heard, that's what I'm going to focus on.
4: So let's dive in a little bit into what that voice would be when republicans during the Trump administration, uh, they're pretty critical about investigations, impeachment proceedings. uh, How much are we going to see investigations from the House versus problem solving? and uh, bipartisan work among members of republicans and maybe some democrats too to try to get deals done. Yeah,
3: Well, I'm always going to try to get the best deal for Iowa. I think I've made that very clear in how I've done my job the first two years. But I think what's also important is uh, Iowans expect accountability. Uh, I think that's where, um, again, as a member of the approach committee, I'm going to be able to execute that oversight because they do have to come to us and ask us for those hard-earned taxpayer resources. So I think asking questions is what people would expect us to do. They would expect us to say, for instance, I'm on Homeland Security, Secretary Mayorkas has to come before our committee, um, I've asked for him to resign because I think he has failed at doing his job. So we're going to ask questions, we're going to make sure that he's held accountable and I think that does have an impact not only on spending but on policy. So. So um, I think we need to be judicious in any questions that we're asking. I think where people got tired of this in this entire country is investigations just because. It, asking questions and making our case in the right way I think is going to be incredibly important and I think that's how you'll see the republican majority focus on accountability.
4: We've seen such partisan split and uh, I'm curious, do you feel like there's room for bipartisan work anymore in Congress, especially in the House and as republicans uh, takeover in the House, and there is a democratically controlled Senate.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our our work didn't stop when I was reelected. We kept going with the priorities I've been working on for the last uh, two years, and uh, many of those priorities uh, I'm the lead Republican on now, and we have a lead Democrat on. And we're going to continue those bills, our roles will flop and I'll be the lead Republican and we'll have a lead Democrat. So I think that um, the way we get things done is balance and bipartisanship and that's uh, absolutely critical. I've worked across the aisle and gotten many priorities for Iowa done, uh, worked with our entire Iowa delegation and uh, Cindy Axney, who's uh, not coming back but we did work together a lot. Um, We worked together to get the uh, Sergeant Ketchum bill passed that helps with veterans' mental health. Uh, I worked with Sherry Bustos in Illinois, she's retiring so I'm going to try to develop new relationships there, but uh, to help get additional investment for our lock and dam system. So I think there are a lot of places that we do agree and you'll continue to see a lot of bipartisan work happen. Um, Maybe it doesn't lead the 5 o'clock news because it's not as exciting, but uh, you can count on us to continue to say, hey, here's the story we're hearing from people. Here's how we're actually going to Washington D.C. and executing on those bipartisan priorities, and uh, we'll just make sure everybody knows the work that we're doing.
2: And, and not to put too fine a point on that, but as Clayton mentioned, that we'll have split control now: right. Republican-led House and a Democratic. Uh, can we expect? I mean, will will the House send bills to the Senate that? The Senate will actually, you know, actually consider and, and and vice versa. Although you're in the House, so ask you there. And, and you know, can, can Kevin McCarthy work with Chuck Schumer, mm-hmm. the Democratic Senate Majority Leader, uh, to get things to the President's desk? Can we expect yeah. that kind of work, or is that that's happening now?
3: I mean, I think it's important to note that we get Republican bills from the Senate all the time. Um, if it's good policy, um, I think our leadership understands people expect you to get work done. Uh, you're going to have your very public fights. Um, but you know many of the bills that we, we pass under suspension where we are mostly in agreement as um, both conferences and both caucuses, those pass without a whole lot of fanfare and we get the work done, right? And so I think you'll continue to see that happen. Um, and again, this is where I think it's really important to operate, like I've operated that I could be in the minority or I could be in the majority and for me it's about who can I work with and what relationships can I develop on those shared priorities, so Biofuels Caucus for example, that's a great place where we've been able to do a lot of work together, fight for Iowa's priorities, but you've got bipartisan members from Minnesota, um, Illinois, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Missouri. I mean, So there are a lot of places where we can find some really good alliances to get stuff done.
0: The Farm Bill is coming up uh, in the coming year. How are you going to convince republicans who are skittish about providing healthy subsidies uh, to America's farmers? Well, it it comes down to a whole bunch of conversations here. And again, this is where uh, developing
3: relationships and understanding priorities for districts all over the country are going to be really important to making sure we have a strong farm bill that helps support Iowa agriculture. Um, There are a lot of provisions in that bill. Uh, Food bank (coughs) and food security is a huge part of that uh, bill. Uh, It's a passion area of mine. I've visited a lot of food banks in the district. I want to make sure that they have resources going forward. Um, A lot of the programs that our farmers know and trust, uh, not only for, for crop insurance and things like that but for but for um, conservation which is uh, alive and very well here in Iowa uh, the demand is is great for those programs too so we're listening to all of uh, the commodity groups and all farmer groups and um, every stakeholder and that's what we're going to continue to do is say hey these are all the priorities that need to be included in that bill and here's why and so it's my job to go out and make the case that um, you know people who might not traditionally support a farm bill why they should
0: I just remember covering Rand Paul Kentucky Senator Republican when he ran for president who argued that the subsidy situation for farmers is unfair to other businesses. How do you convince uh, reluctant republicans that you should continue these subsidies? Well, feeding and fueling the world
3: is of absolute public interest and our Iowa farmers work very hard to do that every day. Um, And it is a very volatile industry, right? I mean, we've seen, uh, so let's talk about crop insurance and um, you know, that's an an area that has helped to make sure the food supply was stable long-term. Uh, Our farmers had incredible damage during the derecho. Um, They needed that uh, that certainty to make sure that they could recover and come back and continue to farm. Um, So that's where my argument to Senator um, Paul would be, uh, we need to make sure that we have a stable food supply. Uh, We absolutely need to make sure we're doing that in a targeted way and that there's oversight on programs. There are many places where we're now saying, okay, there's a duplicative program over here, let's combine those or let's have that conversation about how we're more efficient. Um, So you're going to find us looking at ways to do that. Do that in the next Congress um, as we look at this next farm bill, but that's going to be our approach to uh, the negotiation there.
4: And you kind of alluded to it early on in the response to Kay's question, but I mean, a, a large portion of the farm bill I mean, people think of agriculture, but is the supplemental nutrition assistance program formally referred to as uh, food stamps. Uh, As inflation has gone up and uh, pre-pandemic relief funding has kind of gone by the wayside or or help for people that need that, uh, you're seeing a change in the way that people can afford uh, uh, food and things have changed for the SNAP program as far as what people, families can afford. Mm -hmm. How do you take that into consideration when you're drafting a farm bill, uh, when that's not kind of top of mind, I guess just how the general public might think of. The Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program.
3: And just had a conversation in our office this week about it, actually, but you know, it's, it's, it's challenging because you're facing not only that increased inflation. They they gave obviously uh, for other programs cost of living increases. Uh, this bill is interesting. It sets the kind of the the price and it isn't reviewed again for another couple of years in terms of uh, like reimbursements and things like that. So um, we're having conversations about what that looks like so it can be more reactive while at the same time looking at mandatory spending is what's driving a lot of the debt in this country. You know there's a lot of focus on discretionary spending but mandatory is the out of control train that's left the station that that nobody's really checking. So uh, making sure that we're being uh, thoughtful in looking at those formulas and how they, how they react and they leverage is going to be absolutely critical because this is a bill that we don't review every year, right? A lot of the programs uh, are pilot programs that are designed to be reviewed every three to five years. Um, but programs like that, you know, when we set it and then we have an incredible circumstance like what we've had, uh, it makes it hard to, to be able to adjust.
0: Some of your republican colleagues have talked about making changes to Social Security. Is that something you support? Well, here's the,
3: the situation with Social Security is that if we do nothing on Social Security and I, I was here two years ago talking about this same issue um, and if we do nothing the benefits will automatically cut in 2034. Um, And that's not what I want to see happen. Um, So I'm willing to have conversations with anybody about serious solutions. It's serious for our seniors. We need to be serious about the longevity of the program. Um, And and at the same time, talking about how do we encourage people to start saving earlier, right? Social security uh, is, uh, you know, people are living longer, people need to have more resources for longer, for longer life. And so I'm focused on secure 2.0 is a bill that I would like to see passed. for instance, that's encouraging more people to sign up for employer sponsored, uh, uh, retirement plans, getting younger people, millennials who are not saving money so that we can uh, make sure we're not ending up in a situation where we have people who don't have benefits and have to retire.
0: So does that mean that, um, you would have sort of a George W. Bush system that he proposed back in the early part of the century uh, whereby some people would opt for this savings plan instead of being part of the Social Security system?
3: Well, first of all, let me say anybody who proposes cuts to the benefits, uh, that's going to be a no from me. I think what we need to be talking about is think about retirement as a, a three legged stool, all of the the ways you save for retirement, the things you need to plan on. I hope people think about having other resources Um, to to help supplement their Social Security. I'm not sure, I I hope we are able to get something done where it's going to be preserved long term and those benefits are there for seniors who have worked hard and expect to have them. Um, So I'm hopeful we can find some bipartisan work there and get that done. I think it should be bipartisan uh, because this is an issue that Congress needs to address. Um, But again, there are uh, I think all these other conversations that need to happen about uh, making sure we make it easier for people to save money, making sure we make it easier for employers to offer that as a benefit, um, and and making sure that we um, are are serious about that conversation long term, because otherwise we're going to have this e- epidemic of people who haven't saved money in 20, 30 years. Um, I think another question that I have that I'm definitely looking into you know, with with the pandemic, we had a bunch of people who weren't working and weren't paying into the system. Um, And then you had this uh, incredible inflation hit and a big cost of living increase. So that's going to change things a lot um, in terms of the mechanisms of evaluating the long-term viability of the program as well. So uh, we have some work to do there, but uh, again, I'm hopeful that we can do it in a bipartisan way
2: wanted to move on to education policy. Some House republicans have in recent past introduced a, a parent's bill of rights regarding to uh, what parents of school children um, can know about uh, what is going on at their schools, whether it's curriculum, finances, et cetera. This was also a central theme in your reelection uh, campaign so uh, it's safe to assume that you would support uh, that. And, and and I also wanted to ask, you um, why do republicans feel this has become uh, um, uh, an issue for Congress when traditionally for the most part education is something that is handled at the local level by school boards? Yeah.
3: Well, and I do support the Parents' Bill of Rights. I'm one of the co-sponsors on that. And I think for me as a, as a mom to two school-age kids, soon to be 10 and 12, I can't believe I'm saying that, um, I think it's really important that we just have good dialogue as parents with um, with our teachers and with school boards. I think people have woken up to the process a little bit more, which um, is another part of why I focused on that as a conversation. I want healthy dialogue. I want good civics engagement. Uh, parents have felt like they were being shut out. Um, I think it also goes without saying we had an administration that was working with a teachers union and uh, the Department of Education to, you know, uh, to make changes to policy, and they were shutting other people out. Um, that's where the federal nexus comes in. It's making sure that those things are transparent. So that's why I have pushed for that policy. What I think parents really want is just to know that they have a say in their kids' education. Parents. Uh, Kids belong to parents, not the government. I think I made that position very clear, um, and I think that's where a lot of the conversation and a lot of that intent lies.
4: Former President Donald Trump endorsed you ahead of the 2022 election. Uh, he has announced he's going to run for a third time. Uh, Iowa is kicking off the calendar for the Republicans anyway ahead yeah. of the, the next cycle. Um, do you think it's good for him to be the nominee uh, in 2024, especially as he's called for the termination of the Constitution?
3: Well, let me say this first and foremost, I started off uh, in Congress taking that oath and swearing that I would protect the Constitution and uh, that is my job is to protect the Constitution. So any talk of uh, undermining the Constitution is a non-starter for me. What I will say about uh, the presidential nominating process, I'm glad Iowa is still going to be first for republicans. Um, I think it was a a mistake for democrats to to make that move. Um, And I think that um, Iowans know how to vet our candidates. We know how to ask tough questions. President Trump's going to have to come to Iowa and ask tough questions. Any other candidate will see you in Iowa too, and that's uh, my perspective on anyone who wants to be the president. They should come and uh, go through that same process and answer those tough questions.
4: But is it good for the Republicans to win back the White House if he's the nominee?
3: Well, I can tell you that I heard from a lot of people who don't want President Biden to be the President. So I think in my mind it's about making sure we have the right person in the White House who can move this country forward but can also focus on policies that are not going to uh, spend trillions of dollars and not uh, take our country in the wrong direction. So I will support who is the best person to do that. And um, again, all these candidates are coming to Iowa so we'll see you here and I'll ask those same tough questions. Of are you going to host or endorse? Well, I'll probably do both. So we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, I want to make sure that I see what the field is and, and get a chance to ask questions of people too because ultimately um, we want the best person. I want someone who I'm going to be able to work with as a member of Congress, but I also
0: want the right person to move our country forward. We are done with this conversation. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Iowa Press. Thanks, Kay. You can watch every edition of Iowa Press online at iowapbs.org. For everyone here at the network, thanks for watching.
1: Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation, the Associated General Contractors of Iowa the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa's communities, and they are backed by Iowa banks. With advice, loans, and financial services, banks across Iowa are committed to showing small businesses the way to a stronger tomorrow. Learn more at iowabankers.com.